For decades, presidents in both parties have talked about how they want to pass infrastructure spending. This Congress must act to encourage conservation, promote technology, build infrastructure. 21st century businesses need 21st century infrastructure. Modern ports and stronger bridges. I am asking both parties to come together to give us safe, fast, reliable, and modern infrastructure that our economy needs and our people deserve. And this enthusiasm for infrastructure is also true of President Biden. This week, details started to leak out about the Biden administration's $3 trillion economic package, which includes significant infrastructure funding. To learn more about the administration's thinking on infrastructure, our colleague Ted Mann called up the new Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for the time. Sure thing. He started off the interview by asking, is there really bipartisan support for infrastructure spending? I really believe there is. I mean, uh, first of all, around the country, this is, I think, broadly not considered a partisan issue. You know, in the public conversations that you've seen and the offline conversations that I'm having with House and Senate Republicans, you can feel there really is a desire to get things done. That won't make it necessarily easy, but it makes it easier than a lot of other things that are hitting Washington this year. But Ted says, even though Buttigieg is optimistic, infrastructure bills are actually really hard to pass. That's why we haven't seen a major one passed in more than a decade. And one reason for that is that when Republicans and Democrats talk about wanting to do infrastructure, they're not necessarily even talking about the same thing. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, March 23rd. Coming up on the show, why infrastructure bills are so hard to pass, and why Secretary Pete Buttigieg says this time could be different. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Infrastructure has a reputation of garnering bipartisan support because for a long time, it did. The signature achievement for bipartisan infrastructure spending came about 70 years ago with the construction of the interstate highway system. A 41,000-mile network of our most important roads. Most of these roads will be four, six, even eight-lane expressways constructed for through traffic. They will take the -the over-the-road driver from city to city, coast to coast, at highway speeds, even through large population centers. In the 1950s, when President Dwight Eisenhower tried to pass the Interstate Highway Bill, all but one senator voted in favor of it. The bill fundamentally changed the way Americans got around. There had been automobiles for a long time, but this was essentially, I would say, incentivizing the growth of the private automobile and the assumption that simply making it in American society meant having a car where you could drive to any state on any day. It completely upended other modes of transportation. 
In this century, America has become a nation on wheels. We ride on wheels to work, to shop, to play, to go about any place we want to go. We depend on wheels to bring us the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the things we use. But when we depend on wheels, we depend also on highways and roads and streets for the wheels to roll on. Why do you think people romanticize the interstate highway project so much? It was a huge change in America. It was an enormous technological shift. It also is totally tied up in our, you know, emotion and nostalgia about the post-war years, um, where we did a ton of building and we seemed to be able to do things that other countries had never thought to do. So we, we have a real sort of love affair with it. For decades after the highway system was built, the U.S. continued to spend big on infrastructure. And there was also something to sweeten the deal. Earmarks. Earmarks were specific money allocations that were written into big spending bills. And they were often used for infrastructure projects. For instance, a lawmaker might get funding to build a bridge in their district. If I was the senator from pick a state, you know, and I I really really wanted to be able to, to show my voters back home that, that I had brought home the bacon, one great way to do that was to secure the money for some big transportation project. And in some cases that, you know, once it's built, they're going to put my name on it. So there was that, the use of earmarks was a big way of getting members of both parties to come together and, and push a bill through. But over time, earmarks went from helpful to grease the wheels for spending bills to a sign of government waste. I agree with those Republicans and Democratic members of Congress who've recently said that in these challenging days, we can't afford what are called earmarks. These are items inserted into spending bills by members of Congress without adequate review. Now, some of these earmarks support worthy projects in our local communities, but many others do not. We can't afford bridges to nowhere like the one that was planned for few years back in Alaska. The Bridge to Nowhere was a notorious earmark that was included in a 2005 infrastructure spending bill. That was a gigantic earmark for a big bridge in a very rural part of Alaska that was, you know, the product of having a very popular, very, very powerful senior senator who was able to just extract that when it came time to get the highway bill through. It was a symbol of costly, wasteful government spending. The money for it was tucked away in the massive 2005 transportation spending bill. And that, you know, in addition to a lot of other just outright corruption that was happening at the time, unrelated to that project, I think really contributed to a toxic view of earmarks and of the way these deals were getting done. In the end, the bridge to nowhere didn't get built. But so many lawmakers were outraged by it that in 2011, both parties decided to end earmarks altogether. That decision had an unintended consequence. Without that extra incentive for lawmakers, infrastructure bills became a lot harder to pass. This was how, when you had two sides unwilling to budge at the last moment on a big, comprehensive piece of legislation, the sense is... This was one way where you could just get a deal through, and the one person holding out might be able to go home and say, I voted for this bill I didn't want to vote for, but it had money for our bridge. And that at the end of the day, a lot of people think that's how legislation finally made it through Congress again and again and again. And so cleaning up the process by taking away something that often looked distasteful, if not downright corrupt, 
had the unintended consequence of taking away a tool that lawmakers used at the very last minute to just finally get to a deal. Without the help of earmarks, both President Obama and President Trump failed to pass a major standalone infrastructure bill. But that hasn't stopped President Biden from drafting what could be the biggest infrastructure bill in U.S. history. It's time to stop talking about infrastructure and to finally start building an infrastructure. But his bill may be even more difficult to pass. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. It's now Biden's turn to try getting an infrastructure bill through Congress. Millions of good-paying jobs that put Americans to work rebuilding our roads, our bridges, our ports to make them more climate resilient, to make them faster, cheaper, cleaner. His plan could cost as much as $3 trillion. And a big focus of that spending will be climate change. And what that seems to mean is not rebuilding things that make no sense in a world of rising seas and more extreme weather. And if you're dead set on doing something about climate change and you're deciding what sort of transportation infrastructure you want built, widening a highway is not the first thing on your list. Um, Certainly not above something like mass transit. When Ted spoke with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg last week, he asked for more details on the Biden infrastructure plan. And Pete said that this plan will focus on a lot more than just roads. So this isn't going to be a replay of a 1950s vision of what infrastructure means. Uh, Don't get me wrong, there are places where we need to expand and and build highways, but there are also probably places where we need to reduce or remove them or uh, create alternatives uh, uh, for uh, highway travel. I think uh, the paradigm has really shifted from a vehicle-obsessed vision to a vehicle-inclusive vision of how people get around. You know, one of the things we've learned is on a congested highway, sometimes, if you're not thinking it through, you add more lanes, you just get more cars and you get more congestion. So what we need to do is have an integrated strategy. Yes, that's driving. It's also rail. It's bike and pedestrian mobility, where that's appropriate. And by the way, water is, uh, is a surface, too. And one thing we're seeing, especially with uh, backups uh, in the West, is that our, our ports are in need of some attention and some investment. Let's talk about climate change. Um, you and the president have said climate change will be prioritized uh, in, in this infrastructure package. Um, 
What does that mean exactly? Well, I think infrastructure is the best arena for us to break the old false choice of climate versus jobs and shift the conversation to job creation through climate action. I view this fundamentally as a jobs bill and one that's going to bring uh, a lot of climate benefit. It means making sure that people have opportunities to work on everything from the manufacturing of electric vehicles, which would be supported by the president's vision of more charging stations, to things like uh, expanding our rail networks or fixing the highway infrastructure we have in ways that perhaps lead to less emissions too. All of these things are connected. I would add that in addition to preventing climate disaster, we just got to adapt to what's already happening around us. And sometimes the right answer when you're making a 50 or 100 year decision about a bridge or a tunnel is going to change when you're honest about things like sea level rise. And so in other words, there's a possibility you're going to have to say no to some local priorities, right? If there are, I'm thinking of uh, building a road down to a low-lying area that someone wants to develop that, that is not really going to make sense two decades from now. That's not something that you think the federal government should be supporting? Well, look, as a former mayor, I, I tend to think that uh, local governments make the best decisions. And I think often they'll be the, the first to acknowledge some of these climate realities because they, they don't have a choice not to. I mean, I remember puzzling over floodplain maps whose definition had clearly changed as we experienced our second once-in-a-millennium flood just during my time as mayor. And so I don't think we're really going to have to fight local government on climate reality. If anything, they're typically ahead of us and sometimes ahead of their own states. One thing I noticed as a mayor was the total cost of ownership of all the asphalt I was in charge of plowing and paving. And one pothole at a time, you start realizing that every square foot of asphalt in your city is uh, something of a liability as well as an asset. And when you take that business lens to it, you start saying, okay, let's add more where we have to, but maybe we should be withdrawing a little bit where we can. So tell me, you are known to be a bit of a train nerd. I've been accused of the same thing. You're now the Secretary of Transportation. If you are daydreaming, is there just a moonshot that you think you have a chance to push forward? Yeah, I mean, where do you begin, right? There's some really interesting visions that are kind of circulating on the train internet and train Twitter that I think are exciting. So, you know, on some level, it's just the basics, like making sure it works, making sure that I could get on a train at Union Station and be going as far as South Bend, Indiana, and know that the standard of service waiting for me is just as good as what a Japanese or Italian or British citizen could expect. Some of the places that would benefit most from real high-speed rail are places like where I come from. I mean, if you just imagine what it would mean for Minneapolis and, and Milwaukee and Chicago and Louisville and Cincinnati and Detroit and all these cities all to be within a swift ride of each other. But also, think about Texas. Think about what it would mean in Texas to have excellent high-speed rail. Do you think that's doable? I mean, like, we, we hear so frequently that, you know, this is America, we just kind of don't fund those things, we don't do it like that. Do you think we can get there? Yeah, I mean, my question is, when it comes to rail, why should Texas be inferior to China? And I'm going to keep putting it that way and see if it resonates. The Biden administration will need their plan to resonate with more than just train lovers. In fact, in order to overcome a filibuster, Biden will need 10 Republican senators to come on board. And Ted says the chances of that are slim, partly because Democrats and Republicans will likely disagree about what the word infrastructure actually means. 
the Republican Party, as currently constructed, is pretty hostile to the idea of mass transportation. There are not all of the Democratic Party, but there certainly are segments that think spending more money on a new highway is insane. So there's deep division about what it would make sense to spend the public's money on. So, for example, we know that the Biden plan is likely to talk about doing things like building out more railroad capacity for passenger rail. They're talking about electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And those are likely to be tough sells with a lot of Republicans who defend the oil and gas industry and don't necessarily agree with prioritizing climate change to begin with. And there are going to be big fights about which of these are good ideas and which are wasteful. But Biden may have some hope of getting his bill passed because of earmarks. Last week, House Republicans voted to bring back the use of earmarks for the first time since they were banned in 2011. One of the reasons leadership is is even willing to touch earmarks again after all that scandal is that they too are sick of not being able to get a deal done on anything. They realize how bad it looks to the American public that Congress seems unable to do anything. So I think there's some hope that some form of compromise will be possible if a given senator who doesn't really like, say, spending on a rail line in an East Coast state will still be able to go back home to a big rural, wide open Western state and say, I got us this money for this dam that everybody had been trying to fix for 20 years and I'm the one who brought it home. How likely do you think it is that the government can pass an infrastructure bill? Well... I think it's going to be really hard. I think it's always nice in campaign season to think about how infrastructure is one of the areas where a deal ought to be possible and it'll either be a Republican-looking plan or a Democrat-looking plan, but something can get passed because we all kind of know it needs to be. But it's sort of a mutually held fiction that there will be a point at which this is easy. That's all for today, Tuesday, March 23rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.